I'm former Congressman Gary Franks. And I'm his son, Gary. I'm millennial. We're discussing everything from politics to sports and pop culture. From very different perspectives. We speak frankly. Welcome back. We took a little hiatus. We took a vacation. Yes, V-A-C. Well, you know how it's spelled. We took a vacation from our podcast. Hopefully you missed us. We're back now. Uh, we started really last week because we did our podcast for sports. So you just hopefully you heard it on Friday. But now this is our first Tuesday broadcast, which is our typical political show. So, Gary, welcome back to politics. Yes, it feels good to get back to politics a little bit here. So, Gary, I'm going to leave it open. We haven't been on in a few weeks, so uh, there's a lot of things I could talk about. But what are you interested in, in, in talking about today? Well, I want to talk about the two recent cyber attacks um, that occurred over the last few weeks. Obviously, one was with the gas um, situation that occurred that shut down a lot of the gas stations in the northeast and the southeast region of our country. And I also want to talk about the the most recent one with the meat uh, situation. Yeah, Gary, I tell you, it's been uh, quite a ride. And I, I'm glad that the, the Biden administration is starting to, uh, to take it seriously. This is not a criticism. I think that, you know, quite frankly, the Bush administration, the Obama administration, the Trump administration, I'm not saying they didn't take it seriously. But uh, bottom line of it is we have to wake up to a number of, of uh, aspects to, to this problem. You know, back when I was in office, Gary, 30 years ago, you know, the big problem was we were fighting the Cold War. And the Cold War was a war in which, you know, we built up our military hardware and the Soviets built up their military hardware. The Soviet tried to get involved with other countries and they had the Soviet, the USSR and the United States started, tried to, through the use of the Peace Corps and various other means and foreign aid, try to ingratiate themselves with various other countries. That was totally different. Back then, Gary, we were looking at M16 rifles being such a fantastic thing to have on the battlefield. We were looking at stealth technology where you have a plane that can fly up in the air and no one can see it, or I should say, radar cannot detect it. Then we had stealth submarines, the Sea Wolf submarine being one of those, which I fought for and got awarded to the state of Connecticut's manufacturer. Phenomenal things. We had ballistic missiles and we were talking about anti-ballistic missiles and knocked down the ballistic missiles. That was the battlefield of the 20th century. And you go back in the 18th century, 17th century, you know, probably bows and arrows and, and handguns. OK, but now <laughs> here we are in the 21st century and battles are now being waged or attacks are now being waged quite differently. It's not a matter of how many tanks you have or how fast your tank can go. It's not a matter of how how high your planes can fly or how fast your planes can fly. Right now, you can stop a country via the use of sanctions against that country, prohibiting them from getting certain necessities, or you can hamper and stop, to a certain degree, a country, or at least impede their progress via cyber attacks. And you tie that into Bitcoins and, and cryptocurrency, and you have ransomware going on now, Gary, that no one could have predicted 20 years ago. And But today, it is at the forefront of the battle. And I am so happy that the FBI director came out recently and said, hey, this is as serious as 9-11, folks, because 
bottom line, we have to get out in front of this. Now, we saw in the Colonial Pipeline situation, Gary, who in the world thought that this little company, not little, but this company, Colonial Pipeline, controlled 45% of the flow of gasoline on the East Coast? <laughs> they had us crippled when they went down because they were being held ransom by some entity, supposedly, potentially, in Russia. And we did not have the ability to get fuel in some areas of our country. Now, th this is this unheard of. I mean, this is, this is not good. And then just you know, a few weeks later, JBS, the supplier of meat products, was also hit with a ransomware cyber attack. And so we are seeing this in a number of areas, subway systems, ferry systems. It's happening all over. And there's so many problems tied to this, Gary, because they can't, they don't know who's doing this. Do they blame the country where the guy is sitting on his sofa eating pretzels and drinking a beer? Do you blame the country for that? Well, maybe so. President Biden is going to be meeting with potentially uh, well, the G7 countries and, and potentially with with the, the Russian president about any this topic will definitely come up because it is that serious. And once it happens to you, do you retaliate and do something to them? That's what would happen if we were in the 20th century. If you bombed our ship, we would take out three of yours. And so we are in a very, very dangerous space right now, Gary. And, and hopefully the major companies and small companies out there recognize that they have to work more closely with the federal government and they have to have a backup system. You know, Gary, you know, I can imagine back in the day, I don't know when, but back in the day when people were in the hospital and getting ready to have a surgery, and then all of a sudden the power would go out. You know, here's, here's the doctor working on someone's heart, trying to put a vein in and the power would go out. Well, we solved that problem many, 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 many decades ago because we have a backup generator system. So if the power goes out due to, got, due to natural causes, you know, storm or blizzard or whatever, they hit a switch, operation continues, lights are on, everything is fine. Well, we have to start to think like that for our critical infrastructure we must be able and i know you can have it you can back up stuff and put it on the cloud and all that we have to start thinking more like okay you do that to us well we'll just hit a switch and bottom line it's like nothing happened it's like being in a hospital being on an operating table and you're in a blizzard you don't have to worry about a thing and that is what we have to start to look at and we have to have alternative means of critical of having certain critical elements such as fuel and things of that nature i'll never forget gary when i was in office the state of virginia was fighting really the state of connecticut but i was the only person from connecticut on armed services committee so i look at it as a personal battle and they they said hey you know we want to get to see this submarine and what was their reason for wanting to see wolf submarine because they had all the naval ships down in virginia so they would it'd be a natural for them to have the sea wolf submarine you know what I did? I turned that argument against them. That was the reason they shouldn't have the submarine. Why? Because if you were an unfriendly country, all you had to do is knock out that shipyard in Virginia, and guess what would happen? The United States couldn't move a boat. We couldn't move a submarine. We couldn't move a destroyer because we had been stupid enough to have all of our eggs in one basket, all of our naval ships built in Virginia. 
I use that argument with President Bush, with Dick, with Dick Cheney, who was Secretary of Defense, and various other members of their administration, and said, it ain't smart to have all your eggs in one basket. Well, they agreed with me, Gary. For the last 30 years, Connecticut has been fortunate enough to have the Seawolf submarine, which has also benefited the uh, state of Rhode Island. I'm talking about tens of thousands of jobs for 30 years. That whole part of Connecticut would be a desert land if it weren't for the Seawolf submarine. A lot of lobbies have tried to take credit for it, but the bottom line of it is I'll take to my grave how what other tactics I use to be able to get the Bush administration to agree that we had to diversify and have an alternative source for building naval submarines. Very critical time. And today we're looking at a similar, different situation. We cannot allow for us to have one entity control the, the, the flow of fuel for an entire section of the United States without having something else in place that would be a backup. We cannot do that. It's stupid. We have all this money that we're trying to spend on so-called infrastructure. And, and, and I don't know, Biden's the definition of it is President Biden's definition is far different from most people's definition of, of infrastructure. Well, this qualifies as infrastructure to make sure that we can have critical items such as food, such as oil, which is turns into gasoline, to be able to flow naturally through our system to get to the American people. Absolutely critical. Forget about this. Oh, we're going to stop having fossil fuel by the year. To, who in the hell cares about that? We care about what's going to happen tomorrow, next week, next month. And this can happen. And we can see a change as quickly as a click of a finger, because all it takes is some, some guy using his computer, and he can stop the flow of energy in the United States. We cannot allow that to happen, folks. So we cannot be so futuristic about the green plan and spending trillions of dollars on that. We have to use common sense and take care of America for the essentials. And the essentials is not to allow certain certain entities that have such a control over us that when they fail, we have a problem as a nation. We saw that with the banks. The, the financial crisis was about that. The banks, you know, too big to fail. They used that term. So we had to say we had to bail them out. So the bottom line of it is we cannot fall into that trap, Gary. And this is a very serious matter. I believe the SBS situation with the food uh, processing company, there may have been ties to China with that, where it originated. Now, our technology, our, our Homeland Security folks can tell where it emanated from. But, you know, bottom line of it is, can we nail it down to the person who's actually using his 10 fingers to do it? No, and it's kind of hard. And even if we did, can we find out where to, nope, the cryptocurrency, he can't. And so there's a lot going on, Gary. This is a very critical matter, almost as critical as two other issues that I'm going to talk about. I think it's probably, in the scale of things, it's something that we can deal with right now and, and have a positive effect to. The next item that I'm going to talk about is COVID and what, whether or not it originated in a China, in Chinese laboratory, because that's also critical to talk about half a million people. More than half a million people in America died because of that. And then, of course, the border crisis, which our vice president is trying to... Uh, you know, get a handle on it right as we speak right now. Uh, so, Gary, yes, hopefully I didn't go on too long in that one segment, but it's very important for us to be able to get our arms around it and understand that companies have to report when they are being held for ransom because right now that mechanism is not in place. They just quietly pay the ransom and, and go move forward unless you're a big entity like Colonial Pipeline or like JBS. We have to be able to have certain standards in place so that every major company, major could be even a small company as far as I'm concerned, has to follow certain basic 
guidelines of security of their information. Just basic. There has to be a, a level of security and a backup and a tie to our government, the FBI and others, so that we are able to win this war, this cyber attack war that, we're, that we are facing at this very moment. It's quiet, but it's sinister. My next question would be, what's the best way for companies to work with the federal government to make sure that these attacks don't occur again? Well, they should have to report whenever they are being held ransom for starters. So the federal government can intervene and start to trace even the small time guys, because you don't become a big guy or even a stop of the colonial pipeline you know, by, on your first try. You probably did a, little, a lot of little small ones. So let's try to get those little small guys who are holding companies ransom and learn from, and they'll slip up every once in a while so we could possibly pick up on their errors and be able to get them. And so it, it's just critical that we, we do that. I, I remember when, they, when, when our school system was being held up, I think in Atlanta um, a few years back. We cannot look at these situations as, oh, 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 it's only happening to me. No, the bottom line of it is you have to tell the federal government when something like this is going on, and then we have to take a, take a step forward from a national perspective to not only trace these happenings, but also to, uh, to stop them. But backup systems are a key. Backup systems are key. Like, I can't stress that enough, Gary. Even if you're in a tall building, you have a backup system if there's a fire. You take the stairs. You got to have a backup system. Now you can say, oh, the Colonial Pipeline had a backup system. We don't count trucks as a backup system. I mean, yeah, they were at trucks. You no longer take a truck to get to. We, we saw how that movie went. But the bottom line of it is we need to have a seamless type of transition, very similar to what we have in the hospitals, where if something should happen, we can just switch on a new switch and everything is normal. If the government has to help with that, if the federal government has to spend money for that, well, take it out on a green deal. <laughs> that's a, you know, <laughs> that's a 40, 50, whatever year problem. This is a today problem. Let's fix it. So just switching topics, talking about COVID-19. Do you believe the reports about COVID-19 being started in China? You know, Gary, I, I remember when they made fun of Trump and, you know, about this. They said, oh, oh Trump is calling it the Chinese flu. And they were going on and on. And, and, and Secretary Pompeo and others were kind of talking about the prospects of that being, being accurate. After all, they never found the, the so-called chicken or pigeon or whatever. So, But, you know. Fauci was able to say, hey, well, now Fauci's under hot water now because they've, they've somehow gotten some of his emails and his ties to that laboratory in Wuhan is, is starting to come into question. In fact, uh, one of the few times, I guess a couple of weeks ago, Gary, where there was a there was a Fauci-less TV show on, on Sunday. You know, yeah, they talked about him, but he wasn't there. And usually when they talk about Fauci, he magically appears on the TV talk shows. Not this week, not that week. It was just a situation where everyone said, well, you know, nah, because it's very likely, Gary, very, very likely that it, that it did originate in a laboratory. Three scientists who worked in that laboratory in November were hospitalized with COVID-like symptoms, which is before the alleged incident that China talked about happening in December or January. So now Dr. Fauci is asking, and the United States government is asking, for the medical records of those three individuals, which would obviously either clear the air on this situation or be a way of confirming 
the fact that it came out of the Wuhan laboratory. Because if all three of those individuals, all three of those scientists would show they have the same symptoms and they are the COVID-like symptoms, that is conclusive evidence. Now, are we going to ever get now? And if we get it, is it going to be doctor? Excuse the pun. Eh, it is kind of, you know, so <laughs> we don't know if we could trust what we're going to get, because obviously I don't think China is going to cut their own wrist. They're not going to probably release any document that shows them being culpable. So that's where we stand. So it'd be nice to be able to get people who would want to stand up and say, hey, this is what happened. And I'm reporting this, even though I'll probably have to leave China. <laughs> you know, it'd be nice if those things happen. Uh, but it's it's not that's not likely either. But somehow, in some way, we must pursue this because you know more than a half million people died in America alone, and you know millions worldwide. It, it's 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 something that if we allow this to just be swept under the rug, you know we're we're likely to have a COVID twenty or COVID twenty three or whatever you want to call it in the future. And if you know, I remember back in the day, back when I was in office, Gary, we we. We were willing to bomb certain countries because of their their potential biological weapons that they would have, and so it's very very serious. And whether you remember the day when they had anthrax going around and you know, the little poly, you breathing, you're dead. You know, there's there's um there's so much going on in, in this realm as well, Gary. I know we talked about the cyber attacks, but biological welfare is also something that's that can be somewhat deemed as being new, so to speak. Now, not all that new because I'm old enough to remember when the United States utilized Agent Orange in Vietnam that, um, well, it's a very controversial story because you know, the government's gonna admit that they, it killed people, but it was a form of biological weapon, weaponry that damaged not only the Viet Cong, but also people who wore the United States uniform. But that's a whole nother story. But the bottom line of it is, we have to be very sensitive to what, what could have happened as far as how uh, COVID did originate. There's no question that, that China does not like us. If people do believe that, well, <laughs> there's a lot of bridges in Nebraska we can sell you. But the bottom line of it is, um, you know, are they capable of, of, of doing bad things to the United States? Are they not only capable, that you know, <laughs> I won't get too carried away with that statement, but yes, they are. And and am I saying that it was if it did happen, it was done on purpose? No, it could have been an inadvertent error. But the bottom line of it is, if they had reported it properly, then when President Trump said, okay, no planes coming in from China in the United States, instead of people calling him a racist for that, making that statement, everyone would have understood. And other parts of the world would not have allowed those individuals coming from that part of the world to come to their country. So it could have saved hundreds of thousands of lives. No one is, I'm not saying anyhow, that, that if it did come from that laboratory, it was done intentionally. No, I am not saying that. Please, I'm not saying that. But if we had known earlier, things would have been much better. It had been much more, it had been different from what we, what we all experienced, not just in the United States, but worldwide. That is why it must be pursued and it must be pursued aggressively. So how do you feel about the negotiations that went on about the infrastructure bill? Well, Gary, you know, it's never too late to, uh, to, to make it still happen. Uh, I, I hope that by the time this airs, that there, there's there's an agreement. I think it's critical, however, and I hope that President Biden will, regardless, can work with the Republican Party, the, the faction of the party led by Senator Capito, who uh, 
from West Virginia, who, by the way, your aunt taught at the University of Virginia, because in her former life, she was getting her master's degree in counseling at the University of Virginia. Well, she is, she's is she been leading the charge, Gary, but, you know, it's been a difficult haul, haul for her because, you know, Republicans are pretty adamant about not having any type of tax increase, and that includes lifting the tax cuts that, that President Trump had gotten passed by Congress. So they feel that if you lift that, that's, that's in essence like a tax increase. Because, yes, people's taxes will go up if you take away the tax cut. But the bigger problem, it would be on the Democrat side because they would like to be able to pass this infrastructure bill. And I think everyone would like to see it happen in some shape, form, or fashion. Maybe not $245 trillion. But, you know, the Republicans put up about a trillion dollars. People would like to see that happen, but if, if it does happen without any Republican support, it would be uh, somewhat, uh, I think, I won't say, de- I'm going to use the word devastating, because it would show that, that Biden's going to you know, try to walk things through just with Democrat support. And I keep going back to, to Obamacare, because that was a major piece of legislation that was done in that manner, where no there was no Republican support. And I think that was a turning point in our country's history because prior any major piece of legislation that um, didn't have to do with budget reconciliation or anything of that nature. Uh, I'm talking about legislation like the civil rights bills of 64, 65, the Voting Rights Act. I'm talking about Medicare. I'm talking about Medicaid. I'm talking about aid for families with dependent children. All of them passed with tremendous bipartisan support. So even talking about the energy bill back in this in the early 90s and talking about the Disability Act that passed, all of them passed with bipartisan support. There are definite negative repercussions when you pass measures with only one party support. So I hope that President Biden will, wherever, regardless of where it stands at this very moment, will pull the plug and, and say, hey, no, I'm not going to pass it without having significant Republican support. Because last week, Gary, you know, they started on the House side to to go through the committee process and which would lead to it passing by budget reconciliation. They don't have the votes for that because the gov- the senator from, from West Virginia, Senator Manchin, has said that he uh, would not support that type of, well, he hasn't said that he would support it passing through budget reconciliation, but he would not support any activity that would remove the filibuster, which would mean that it could pass with a simple majority, which would mean that it could pass with all the, sen- the Democrat senators and the vice president, in other words, 51 to 50. And he said he would not support that, so they wouldn't have the 51 votes that they would need. And I believe Senator Sinema from Arizona has also expressed the same feelings. I hope it can pass with a bipartisan support. I do not see that many of the measures that are in the original version of the infrastructure bill would actually be qualified, qualify as infrastructure. But if you're looking at the basics of what the, the, the infrastructure, just look at it this way. If you look at it from the perspective of the way everyone else has looked at infrastructure in all the decades in the past, that's the best way of phrasing it. You'll find that many of the items that President Biden has in his infrastructure bill just don't qualify. So just base it on on, on past history. Don't base it on the Democrat-Republican rhetoric. Based on what, you've, what the country has seen in the past media, you should be pointing this out, that it does not fit what has happened in the past under the guise of infrastructure. Media, you should be screaming this out because that would be a factual statement. So, Gary, we'll see what happens. It's a measure in which most Democrats and Republicans usually can embrace, and hopefully this time that will happen as well. So we're out of time for today. 
Don't forget to subscribe.